We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Seahawks Man to Man podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. I'm here with my co-host, Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the tweet machine. You guys know where to follow me at, at Mike Dugar. It's at the bottom of the screen there. We good. Chris, talk to him. What is up, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. Be sure to tap in with me on Twitter at CKIDD206, and that's CKID206. All right, this is our second pre-draft, or post-draft, excuse me, episode of the offseason. And you guys have already heard from Chris and I, as we pretend to know we're talking about about these prospects we're going to bring in an expert special guest on the program with us is the hardest working man in show business dane brugler of the athletic dane what is up man what's going on guys how you doing we're doing all right. We're doing all right. We're really excited to have you on. Uh, like I said, I, I pretend to know what I'm talking about when it comes to draft guys. I'm usually just regurgitating you or going off of your analysts or your analysis and trusting you, man. So I'll be ready to rock about this the Seahawks draft class. It's a pretty short class, so we, <laughs> we won't have you long. I, I, it helps that uh, I thought the Seahawks did really well. I mean, for only three picks, I really like the three players they got. So that, that's going to help this conversation <laughs> a lot. How do you factor in... They only had three picks because of acquiring Jamal, acquiring Gabe, Carlos Dunlap. Like, how do you how do you factor that into your analysis when grading the class? You know, I, I don't. I hate doing grades. Um, you know, I so I, I avoid it at all costs. But I still have to do some type of you know post draft wrap up. So I just do. I I, I rank power rank my favorite classes uh, based off the players they were that were drafted. Mm-hmm. I do not include any of, you know, uh, why they lost the picks, you know, the players they gained for those picks. None of that goes into it for me. I just focus on the players. Um, so obviously teams that didn't have many picks or, uh, you know, teams that didn't have many picks in the top 100, uh, they're going to be lower on my list just by, you know, the simple fact that they didn't have, you know, the, the numbers that other teams did. But with that said, uh, like I said, I, I really like the Seahawks did. I thought they maximized – each one of their their three picks. I'm a little surprised that they didn't uh, come away with more picks and trade back and try to you know uh, pick up a few more extra extra picks throughout the process. But again, if you're going to pick three players, I, th- I thought they did a really nice job with who they who they selected. 
an interesting thing with Seattle's philosophy is Schneider kind of admitted to us. He's like, hey, back in July, we didn't know what was going to happen with the pre-draft process. Therefore, we were confident. I mean, on top of Jamal being a good player, but that yeah. factored into them being confident and kind of punting on the first round and then giving a, a third round pick as well. What did you just think of that reasoning right there? You know, using the lack of uncertainty or the lack of uh, clarity, I guess, in a, as a reasoning for trading for Jamal. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense that it would factor into this. Um, this draft class, there's no question there's more risk involved because of the lack of information. Um, you know, we saw a guy like Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa fall to outside the top 50 picks because of the lack of information uh, with his medical situation. And that was the case with a few of these guys who we just didn't have as much as we usually do. And outside of the Senior Bowl, these teams really didn't have – in-person face-to-face interaction with these prospects and so for guys with maybe some character questions or uh you know football character questions um you know you're it's you can go off the tape obviously until you know what type of player they are but in terms of the human element and finding out about them as people and you know are they a culture fit do are they gonna you know vibe with what we do here um you know that's it was just tougher you're missing those those 30 visits those are huge that teams use every year to bring guys into the facility. Some guys, they, they leave the facility and, you know, cross their name off the list. They're just not a fit for whatever reason. Some guys, you know, you fall in love with and say, we need to come away uh, with this guy in our, in our draft class. So the lack of information in this class, I, I could certainly understand where some teams would look at it and say, well, we want fewer draft picks this year. And I, we saw several teams that I think are very smart and forward thinking make it a priority to add picks for next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Browns did that. I think the Eagles did that. A few other teams. Uh, I, I think Seattle would have if they if they could have. I don't think they had the necessarily draft capital to do it. But theoretically, next year, we will have more uh, information. It should be a semi-normal uh, process. The combine should be back. Uh, you know, A lot of the steps of, of the draft process should be returned to normal. So I certainly understand that reasoning, uh, which is just part of the equation for why they made that move. Now, they thought that in like July, obviously. And since, as someone who did evaluate the prospects, you know, since then, was it as difficult as a team like Seattle imagined? Sure. Oh, yeah, it's, it was it was definitely challenging. Um, you know, just missing the combine alone was tough. And then. Usually teams have their all the haze in the barn by the time we get to January. And then it's just kind of, you know, you're you're putting final touches on things with the all-star uh, games, the combine, things like that. But most for the most part, the evaluations are done based off of what happened in the fall. This year, no area scouts were on the road. So, you know, it, it was just completely different this year for, for everybody. Yeah, they had the tape, but finding out a lot of those you know, key little details – weren't able to do that on a normal timeline. So uh, for a lot of teams, you know, their draft board is set at the combine. And then just after the combine, there were teams uh, up until the week of the draft adjusting things on their board because of late information coming in. A lot of it uh, the, on the medical side uh, where they just didn't have all the information uh, on, you know, a guy's knee. They knew there was an issue there, but just how prohibitive was it? Was it something that should take them off the board completely. Is it something that, you know, it's a little, there's some risk involved, but still worth the pick. Trying to figure all of that out uh, was tough for teams. And so if it's tough for teams, it's especially tough for us on the outside, trying to keep up with all these issues. Um, so, you know, for me, I, you know, not as much change just from the tape perspective, because that, that was the same, 
you know, some of these guys didn't have as many tapes to go off of. Some some guys, you know, Oregon played, what, five games all year. Um, so there's that element of it. But then also you had the opt-outs this year, which was certainly new compared to normal years. Um, some guys didn't need to play another snap in college football for us to know who they are, Penny Sewell, Jamar Chase, those guys. But then you had, you know, Gregory Rousseau and Joe Tryon. And both those guys ended up sneaking into the first round. It's still being first-round picks. But you could make the argument if they went to, you know, if they returned for their senior se- or their final season and played, maybe they could have been top 10, top 15 picks. So it, it's it was an interesting dynamic to this year's class that made it so unique. So, I mean, best way maybe I can answer your question is I cannot wait for next year when we go back to a semi-normal process. We had Jordan Reed on maybe about three weeks ago. And no, not the tight end that's been around the NFL. We're talking about draft analyst Jordan Reed. And he talked to us about lottery picks and how the Seahawks will definitely trade to get more picks. And ultimately, they didn't. They stayed with the three, which shocked Mike and I and probably yourself. Would you have liked to see the Seahawks acquire more picks in this draft? Or like you said earlier, those three picks that they got, you thought they were solid? I have to imagine they tried, you know, whether they admit that or not, you know, I, I, I would have to, I'd have to think they, they did try now. Maybe the value just wasn't there. Um, you know, I, different teams have different philosophies when it comes to trading in this type of year, but I think they probably looked at the three players they got and said, okay, you know, yeah, we weren't able to trade back, but we got three really good players. And so, uh, you know, even if they did have a trade on the table, maybe, they thought the value of who they got was was too good to pass up. So I think when you factor that in, it, the three players that they got, uh, I, I mean, they got two players that were on my top 100 and one player that really just missed. So I think from a value perspective, even though they did not get more than three, like we thought they probably would, they did get three good players. Well, let's get into these three players. Let's talk about their first selection and Dwayne Eskeridge, who... I didn't have him on the Seahawks radar. I thought he would be gone by then, but nonetheless, the Seahawks were able to scoop him up. What separates Eskridge from all the other slot guys, whether it be size, speed, you name it? I think he's a true three-level threat where not every wide receiver, especially in the slot, um, can can say that, especially guys that were you know sub-5'10", uh, receivers. And Dwayne Eskridge, I mean, he's, he's not a big guy. He, he's 5'9", 190 pounds, but he snatches the ball really well away from his body. And, you know, I, I, I wasn't sure what to expect when I started watching him last summer because he actually played a lot of corner as a junior uh, before they moved him back to receiver as a senior. And then as a senior, he only played in six games, but he was super productive in every single game. He had big plays every single contest. Um, and the speed is obviously what stands out the most. I mean, he, guys couldn't cover him at the senior bowl practices. He, he got open at will. And that, that showed on the Mac tape as well. But again, he catches the ball really well away from his frame. And I think that's really that, that's a big deal for guys that are small. Because if you're 5'9", uh, you know, obviously smaller target for quarterbacks to throw to. But if you can catch the ball consistently away from your body, then all of a sudden that catch radius starts to expand. And maybe you're not looked at as a 5'9 guy anymore uh, by evaluators. So uh, I love his compete skills. You see that as a blocker. Uh, you know, he, he blocks a lot tougher. He, he blocks tougher than Terrace Marshall, who is one of the bigger receivers in this class. Uh, he also has return uh, ability, can play on special teams. So, you know, there's a lot to like about Dwayne Eskridge and, and what he will bring to this team. Well, Pete Carroll will love him blocking because you mm-hmm. can bet the Seahawks are going to give back to the run style offense that Pete clamors about. And did your view at all change after the senior bowl, after witnessing what he's, what he did in the senior bowl to now? 
Um, he helped himself a little bit, I would say, just because, you know, it, it's one thing to get open consistently on the Mac tape. Uh, but, you know, okay, how do you do against some of the better senior corners in this draft class? And he did it at will, at will. So, yeah, no question. I thought he helped himself down there in Mobile watching him. I mean, I was, you know, 20 feet from him sitting in the stands watching him, uh, you know, show that dynamic athleticism, whether it's, you know, explosiveness at the stem or just straight speed, stacking receivers, winning vertically, uh, and doing a really nice job tracking the football and then putting it away. He, he's so natural at that. So uh, he was a big-time track guy in high school, but this isn't just a track athlete. This is this is a football player and, and a, a guy at receiver, I think, showed a little more polish than I was expecting going into a senior year. And how? Do, lastly, how do you finally see him fitting within the Seahawks offense, knowing what the Seahawks like to do and how he can be used and effective in this offense with Ty Lockett and DK Metcalf? Well, I, you know, I think that, you know this offense it has three level concepts, and so I think that's what Eskridge can give you, where you don't have to necessarily pigeonhole him as you know he's your underneath slot guy or you know he's your nine route. Uh, you know, vertical threat. You can use him uh, on these different three-level concepts. Uh, you know, and you know those those high to low reads uh, that 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 Russ will do. Uh, you know, he can give you a little diversity when he's on the field. So defenses don't aren't going to know exactly what the Seahawks are doing when he's out there, whether it's a slot, whether it's outside. Um, and, and his ability to turn those small plays into big plays, I think that's something that could really play a, a part in him getting on the field early in, in this offense. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The other surprise. Actually, the Seahawks are just a surprise. Man, No one knows what they're doing in the draft. They asked me to do like a pre-draft thing, uh, like predicting what the Seahawks were going to do on day two. And I was like, guys, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't, no one knows what the Seahawks are going to do. We definitely didn't think that they would take a 5-9 outside cornerback in, in Trey Brown in the fourth round. You said you, Dan, you said you liked him. Uh, John Schneider yeah. liked him so much. He said if this guy was 6'2", he probably would have been in the top 10. Is he that type of talent? Do you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, I mean, what when you watch Trey Brown, the thing that you love about him more than anything else is just the compete skills. I mean, this guy gets after it uh, consistently from start to finish. He's the type of dude that he takes takes it personally when a, a completion happens on his watch, and so he he really gets after it. And you you love the compete skills, the aggressiveness. Now, sometimes a little too handsy. Sometimes you know he there are he needs to dial it back a little bit. But you'd rather your guy be over aggressive and you have to kind of reel him back as opposed to the opposite where you're trying to get him to be more aggressive. So 
uh, you really like that about him. This is another guy that you go down to, he goes down to Mobile and he jumped, uh, jumped off. Uh, well, I shouldn't say the screen since uh, you know, I was watching him in person, but he, you, you couldn't help but notice him uh, going up against these receivers, playing through the football, uh, really making it tough on these receivers. And it's tough for those corners in those one on one matchups when you're going against top tier receivers and you don't know what's coming. You're out there on an island. And I thought Trey Brown held his own more than uh, just about any other corner that was there. So he was impressive. Is it silly to say I see a little bit of DJ Reed in this athlete, considering what we saw with DJ Reed last season? Just be like, oh, I kind of understand why Pete, might, Pete and John might have made that move. Yeah, I think that's fair. You, a little bit of closing burst, uh, you know, the way that he, you know, the transitional quickness where, uh, you know, he can flip his hips and be in position to make plays. Uh, you love the pursuit effort where he, he's going to show up and run support. Uh, not afraid of that. So even though he is small, he doesn't always he doesn't always play small. Uh, you know, by NFL standards, he, he's small, under 5'10", 185 pounds. But, you know, he's so aggressive. And sometimes, again, that's a double-edged sword that will work against him at times. But you love the way he competes. Uh, and he has the athleticism to make up for some of the, the lack of size. Uh, you know, he – Usually, you know, you want corners that have at least 31 inch arms that are at least 5'11". He's under both those barriers, but he is he has big time speed. And I think he plays even bigger than those uh, uh, height weight measurables would, would, would uh, suggest. I talked to uh, Oklahoma coach um, Alex Grinch, you know, after yep. the draft of uh, former Wazoo defensive coordinator. Go Kooks. Had to get that in there. Uh, <laughs> I t he mentioned that, like, they kind of taught them that mindset that you mentioned with the guys that get handsy. They're like, if, if you're not if we have to teach you to be aggressive, we're playing the wrong guy. Yeah. Um, in, with that said, do you think that he'll have Trey will have those same issues being handsy uh, at the pro level? Or do you think that Pete can kind of coach it out of him, for lack of a better term? It's all about, you know, walking the fine line. Uh, it's all about timing. It's all about discipline. And I think those those are definitely learned skills. So, yeah, he can get better in those areas uh, where you're not completely telling him to be, you know, non-aggressive out there, but just be smart with your aggressiveness. Um, I think he can do that, no question. Uh, it, I think what I love more about uh, Trey Brown than anything else is in big, in big games, he showed up. You look at the last three Big 12 championship games – he showed up. He made huge plays in all three games. Whether it was, you know, the game ceiling interception against Iowa State last year, he had a chase down against Baylor, uh, and the year before that, and, and then he had a sack safety against Texas three years ago. So every single year in the Big Twelve Championship game, uh, he was making big plays, and so you know he was a huge part of that defense. Uh, at Oklahoma, and I won't be surprised at all when he's able to carve out a nice little career for himself in Seattle. Yeah, I like that they were all kind of different because uh, I've seen all the, the highlights of those plays you mentioned. They were all different, like a safety, right. a chase down, uh, an interception. You know, I think there's like this versatility in making the big play because he'll, he'll get asked to cover, but get asked to do a little bit of everything uh, as yeah. a corner in Seattle's scheme. Uh, let's move to their third and final pick, um, Stone Forsyth. I don't know if I've ever seen such a wide range of opinions on a prospect, like I think Brandon Thorne had like a second round grade on him. Mm -hmm. You had a third rounder. And then there's some people who are like, don't draft this guy or like priority free agent. Like why are the opinions on this guy? Like running like the gamut, I guess. Uh, I think it depends on what you're looking for at the position um, with Forsyth. He's not a great run blocker. Uh, that's just, that's just plain and simple. And uh, that that's where he needs to get better. There's no question about it. 
And I mean, there are times where you watch him and, you know, I wrote this in my report. You just, you wish there was a little more grit in his game, a little, you know, needs to add a little more glass to his diet, uh, where just a little nastier, a little tougher, you know, want to see him finish a little bit, a little bit more. And, you know, those are things that offensive line uh, coaches are really going to harp on. And I think you can get more out of him. But when you talk about a guy in pass protection with his wide base, how long he is, and a guy that just doesn't look out of control out there with his movements, he's able to stay in front of pass rushers. In this league, you got to stop. If you're an offensive tackle, yeah, you want better run blocking, but you have to stop pass rushers. That's what you need to do. That's that's uh, goal number one for an offensive tackle. And this guy can do it. He uses his long arms, that natural size to his advantage. He looks very efficient in his movements. He's a little heavy with how he moves, but he's not out of control. He stays within himself. And I, I think he sees things well with his eyes. And so he stays under control, uh, staying between rusher and, and the ball. That That's your number one goal, to stay in between uh, the pass rusher and the quarterback. And consistently, he was able to do that on film. That, Throw on the Georgia tape against Aziz Ojolari and, you know, tell me that Stone Forsyth is not a good player. And, you know, he did that consistently this past year as the Gators left tackle. So um, i very surprised to see him follow the sixth round. You know, he's not without, you know, the concerns. There are concerns there, no doubt. But I thought he was much better than a sixth-round player. Dane, after years of Seattle taking guys who were like the opposite skill set, like right. great run blockers who needed to develop. I mean, even Damian Lewis to some extent yeah. last year, like Mauler in the run game, but needs to develop as a pass protector. After years of that, I think Seattle fans can live with a guy who's like pass protector first uh, <laughs> and run right. blocker uh, second. But with his run blocking, uh, you mentioned he needs to get coached up, maybe get better at that aspect of his game. How much better do you think he can get since I would imagine he's like inherently at a leverage disadvantage because of his size? Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, that, that that's what the problem is. He, he's got such a tall center of gravity that it could be tough for him to you know play low uh, without sacrificing his balance, you know, because you want to see him, uh, you know, use that length to his advantage to get his hands on guys and move them. And we've seen bigger linemen do that. He just needs to understand the biomechanics of the way his body works and just be comfortable with it. Um, it, it he, he does a really nice job with that in pass pro, but needs to do a better job with that in the run game. So I think he can get there. We've seen plenty of guys that are 6'8", be able to really be strong run uh, run blockers in the NFL. And so can he get there? Yes. Is it going to take a little bit of time and some coaching? Uh, definitely. There's no sure thing that he he will get there. But I, I think the ability is there. It's just And you want, like I said before, you want to see him be – a little bit better finisher. Uh, there are times where he'll fatigue or you just don't see him, uh, you know, necessarily show that mean streak that you want to see as a run blocker, especially for a guy that's that his size. I Can you coach that into him? I think you can, but it, it might take a little bit of time. And just like that, Dane broke down all three. Yeah, that's the whole class. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. In 20 yeah. minutes. Yeah. Well, the Seahawks are going to take a lot of unrestricted free agents in this. And one that stood out to me was Virginia Tech's Ah, I want to say Jared Hewitt. Is that how you say it? Is it that simple, Dane? Yeah, yeah, you got it. He was ranked 44th as a defensive, tack yep. defensive tackle on your end. Can you talk about his game and what he could bring to the Seahawks if indeed he does make the cut? Um, he, he's an under tackle, um, you know, a little bit undersized, uh, not a long player, but he plays quick. Uh, you know, he, he's a guy that uh, consistently was, uh, you know, forcing uh, interior blockers to pay attention to his side of the field because he's quick through gaps. He can make plays in the backfield. Uh, you know, I don't know that he's necessarily 
explosive. I don't, that's probably not the right word, but I think he plays quick. And so, you know, there's definitely room for a player like that. And he's going to, he's going to compete. He's going to be one of those guys that by the, by the time cut down day gets here, he's going to be one of the final ones and make it really tough on coaches because of that quickness, because of his effort, because uh, I think they just have a coaches will have a good understanding of what he brings to the defense. Dane, I, I love Cade Johnson. Like, and I'm not I'm not I'm not afraid of anyone knowing uh, that that I do. I kind of fell in love with him in the pre-draft process. You mocked uh, him. Yeah, no, I think I mocked him there like three times. I'm not gonna like <laughs> yeah. it. Was, it was it was crazy. Like, it, it, am I am I overselling this one a little bit? Because I think he's going to be one of their UDFA's as well. Like, tell me about this kid. Is he going to make the team? I I don't understand why he didn't uh, get drafted. It makes no sense. Um, and you know, I get it. He's he's undersized. He's five ten and a half, 184 pounds coming from the FCS level, but this is a guy that's used to overcoming odds. I mean, he was a walk-on at South Dakota State, uh, and, you know, he ha he's had to work for everything he's gotten up to this point. Being undrafted is not going to face him. Um, and so if you told me uh, that, you know, uh, fast forward to the future and him and, and Russ have this awesome chemistry in camp, wouldn't be surprised at all. That that's what Kay Johnson is. He's a quarterback's best friend because he's so good at finding the void in the defense and then just being a reliable target. No one could cover him at the Senior Bowl. Uh, you know, it, it, he did a, an act, outstanding job there, catching everything thrown his way. He's a natural hands catcher. Uh, he, he's got return experience. Um, now he is a little limited in what you're going to ask him to do. He's a slot only type of player, and he's a little undersized. He doesn't have the body power that you want. He reminds me a lot of. Uh, Dennis Northcutt, when he was playing with for the Browns about 15, uh, almost 20 years ago, which is kind of crazy. Uh, but he's that type of player. And so i shocked he didn't get drafted. But, you know, I it, again, I think he could develop some quick chemistry in that offense and be a guy that's that's an asset. You know, looking forward a little bit, because, I mean, we literally have covered the 2021 class. Um, <laughs> Seattle did pick up an extra fourth round pick in 2022 in the Jamal trade. So they're short of first rounder, but picked up an extra uh, pick later on day three. I believe the number of guys who signed with agents this year, draftable guys, was like under 700. And I think yeah. it's usually what, like in the 1600s, 1700s or something like that. Um I read that as there's going to be a lot of depth and value picks in next year's class. Does that help a team like Seattle who should have a bunch of picks uh, next year and an extra fourth rounder to play with as well? Yeah. And that's a great point because you, know, you look at next year's class and not only should we have more information on next year's draft mm -hmm. class, but it's going to be a much larger pool. Uh, and you, I mean, you laid out the numbers. Uh, it's just, from a, a pure volume standpoint, it'll be better to have more picks next year because theoretically we'll have better players uh, deep into the draft. And, you know, talking to uh, a scout uh, on Sunday about uh, how, how things played out. And he mentioned how a lot of those seventh rounders this year in normal years are PFAs. And that's just, that's just the fact. And, and so this year when we had fewer, we still had a lot of good players in this draft, uh, you know, through the top 100 into the fourth round, fifth round, but normal, normally it's a much deeper class where next year, that's what we're going to have. I mean, I, I, I know some scouts have mentioned to me that they hope the NFL adds an eighth round to next year because <laughs> the, the numbers are going to be there in terms of the players. And so add another round for a one year uh, for, for one year, just because with all the players having that extra year of eligibility at the NCAA level, uh, you know, guys, uh, a lot of guys went back to school. And so a lot of guys probably made the right decision to go back to school and get better. But it's going to be the competition is going to be so tough for a lot of those late round guys, guys that usually be six, seventh rounders. 
they're going to be PFAs next year. So uh, it, because of that, you know, having the extra fourth, no doubt that that'll help a team like the Seahawks. Yeah, I don't think Pete Carroll would mind at all if there was an eighth round. Like, <laughs> he would just love it because he, he's like, yeah, a chance to compete. Let's compete in the eighth round. Yeah. Uh, uh, now, the last question before we get you out of here, man. How do you think Seattle's class six, uh, stands up against other teams in the NFC West? I know you didn't give the Rams a high rank, I don't think. But how, did, yeah, how does Seattle stack up with everyone else? Yeah, it, the Rams. I mean, they they were at a disadvantage too, not having uh, you know a first round pick and two two Atwell. I thought in the second round was a little early. Uh, you know, he's one hundred and forty nine pounds, and you know he's yeah. a little <laughs> yeah a little little limited with how, but he can fly. So that'll be interesting to play. I, I did like their fourth round picks. I've uh, been a big Jacob Harris fan um, from mm-hmm. the start, and he. He's making me look like I know know a thing or two, so that, I appreciate the Rams and Jacob Harris for that. Um, but you know, yeah, I didn't love what the Rams did, although I thought they had some decent picks on day three. Um, you know, the 49ers obviously getting Trey Lance, uh, especially I, I'm sure a lot of 49ers fans, as happy as they were, I'm sure a few other fans in that division were uh, not as happy to see that mm-hmm. instead of Matt yeah. Jones uh, at number three. But I mean, Trey Lance, when that trade was made. I did an immediate mock draft, just a gut mock draft on the athletic within an hour of when that trade was made last month. And I put Trey Lance at number three, because to me, that made the most sense. I mean, he's so unique when you talk about the package of skills, size, athleticism, uh, arm talent, toughness, intelligence, I just it, for a 20 year old at the FCS level, it's just an unprecedented evaluation. But I thought that fits exactly what Kyle Shanahan wants. Um, and so I think Trey Lance, uh, it, that's, that's going to be really fun to see uh how early he's gonna get on the field you know how the dynamic works with jimmy garoppolo and all that um but then how many starts he's gonna have so i'm I'm excited to see that i thought in the other uh their other picks for the 49ers were solid uh you know trey sermon they traded up to get him which is interesting this is a an offense that usually you know waits on the running back position but they obviously see something in trey sermon uh that that should be a good fit um, you know, they got good value on day three with uh, Jalen Moore out of Western Michigan and Elijah Mitchell out of Louisiana. So uh, really like what the Niners did. And then uh, who are we missing? Uh, Arizona. Arizona. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm excited for, you know, one of my favorite, maybe not favorite, but it just fits that I think I'm most excited to see is Rondale Moore and how he fits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I like him. They, you can already hear the Murray to Moore connection and, and see it and how that's going to be a lot of fun. They were looking to get more dynamic from the slot position. They certainly did that uh, with Rondale Moore. You know, Zayvon Collins, man, Steve Kahn can't help himself. He he loves <laughs> those those hybrid defensive players, and sometimes they work out. Sometimes they don't. So I, I it'll be really interesting to see how the Cardinals uh, plan on using – uh, Zayvon Collins because he's a talent, but you need to use him the right way. So, um, you know, I, I don't know that any, there was a clear, probably the 49ers, if you're going to pick a clear winner in that division just because of what they did at the quarterback position. But I don't know that any of the, the four teams really, uh, you know, stood out more than more than another. Uh, you know, the Seahawks obviously at the bottom just because of the only three draft picks. But, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, I think the Cardinals are making it very clear they want to play like positionless football on defense. Yeah. Um, and as Coog alumni, uh, it sucks for our guy Deion Buchanan. Uh, right. He's like he got drafted way too early in that, and that's in that system because like yeah, now he would kill it. I think for in there sure. selfishly. Uh, but right. yeah, Dane, that's Dane Brugger, ladies and gentlemen, the hardest working man in the draft business, and like knows his stuff. Go read the Beast, then read it again. 
then read it again. Uh, make sure you go to The Athletic and you follow Dane. I wake up and read Dane's stuff all the time. It makes me feel smarter and nerdier. Dane, we know you are a busy man this time of year. Thank you so much uh, for gracing us with your presence on this episode. Anything you want to plug or a shout out before we get you out of here? No, I'm excited. I got T-ball practice later today. <laughs> I, I, I'm excited to get back to normal life. So, you know, nothing really. Uh, I've got my 2022 mock. That's up. So people can go read that and get a head start on next Already? year. But uh, yeah, that's just uh, kind of a watch list for next year. But uh, no, I appreciate everybody, uh, all their support throughout draft season, getting the beast and checking it out. And so uh, can't wait to do it again next year. Thank you so much, man. Thank you guys for tuning in to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. And for our audio listeners, make sure you, you uh, subscribe everywhere that we have our audio as well. The Athletic, Spotify. You guys know the drill. Thank you so much. We'll catch you guys next week. On that note, we're out. From a time to your bag and a color on your lip, yeah, you're plenty of It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com